When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. Tool, practice, lesson, and something to do when you aren't neck deep in code. Today, we're here with Sage Franch, who is the CEO and co-founder of Crescendo. Sage, welcome. Thanks, Michelle. So good to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about what Crescendo does and how you got the idea for the company? Sure. So we really help companies scale their diversity and inclusion strategies globally and measure the learning and behavior change of their employees as they learn and develop cultural competence. So as you probably know, diversity and inclusion is a very hot topic right now, especially in the tech industry, because of a number of years of you know issues really coming to the forefront in social movements where companies are finally starting to feel the pressure to change. And, and they're starting to see diversity and inclusion not just as a nice to have or as something that is you know a, a, so, a social good problem, but really something that's a business imperative. And so two years ago, when I met my co-founders, we had all been sort of experiencing different diversity-related challenges uh, and discrimination through our own lives and in very different ways. So I come from my background as a, a woman in tech, as a female developer, and I'd been in the women's advocacy space for a while, um, but my co-founders are both men and they hadn't faced the same gender discrimination that I'd faced, but they'd faced other things like racial and, and mental health stigmas and, and other things like that. And so when we started talking about this challenge and we started investigating the market, we really realized that right now there's a hunger from these organizations and from the people within them to solve their diversity and inclusion challenges, which are first of all, costing the companies a lot of money, but also causing a lot of unhappiness in the industry. But there's nothing out there that's really helping them do that. And now that every company is a global company, it's been very difficult for these companies to actually connect their employees across borders and, and at scale uh, in a way that allows them to have really human connections with each other. So we've built a software that helps them to do that. Diversity is a really complex issue. So how do you guys use a software to help solve for that problem? So when we first started to tackle this problem, we did a lot of research into how people start to learn about diversity and inclusion and, and what really works. Traditionally, you know, workshops and trainings and, and facilitated discussions and things have been the go-to for people to solve diversity and inclusion problems or educate the workforce on diversity and inclusion in, in the workplace. But these things have been proven not to be very effective. And the reason for that is they're not personalized and people don't have a personal investment in why they need to care about diversity and inclusion. When, when it comes from HR, they see it as kind of a, a checkbox or a compliance tick, but they really, in order to make a change, they really need to feel that need for themselves. And so what our software does is it creates learning profiles for every individual employee based on who they are, where they are in their diversity and inclusion journeys and, and what they're interested in learning and what they actually need to learn. And then as they move through the bite-sized content that we send them, 
their learning path is adapting and we're actually able to get closer and closer and provide them with these learning moments exactly when they need them. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of our clients is an amazing staffing firm in New York and they, of course, you know, they're, they're front facing, they work with a lot of people in the community and they have to provide equitable hiring processes for their clients. And so they really love Crescendo because what it does is it gives them real stories about other people's cultures that helps them understand them in a new light. And so we had one incredible story from a user who said that uh, they learned about pronouns and about transgender people through Crescendo and had never really encountered them in real life. But shortly after learning you know, how to properly respect somebody's pronouns and, and use them correctly if you see them on a pronoun pin or something like that, they actually had a candidate come in who had a pronouns badge on. And because of the content that they had received through Crescendo, they were able to give this person a really equitable and, and fair hiring process with no judgment, no perceived discrimination, nothing, no, none of that friction that they otherwise would have had. And so that is really what we're seeing happen with Crescendo, not just in frontline workers, but also with people who are building for users, marketers who are you know creating these broad spread campaigns that have to reach diverse audiences. Everybody needs to have a certain level of cultural competence in order to understand how to serve the people in our ecosystem. And that personal journey that we're able to provide them helps them get there. And do you guys have like a track for like executives as well? Or is it primarily for, you know, like middle managers or as you were saying, uh, you know, people who are like external facing? Because I feel like a lot of the challenge comes from, you know, like say like a higher level that needs to trickle down to like the rest of the company. Yeah, absolutely. So Crescendo works uh, at all levels of the organization and has both internal and external facing content. So we kind of see diversity and inclusion or cultural competence in two buckets. We see it as internal, which is, you know, your employee to employee or your, your within the company relationship dynamics and then external, which is how you interact with the stakeholders, like your customers, your users, et cetera. And so we've got tracks for people at different levels within the organization, as well as for different role functions. And so wherever you sit in that sort of matrix helps to define the types of content and, and the sort of depth that you're seeing at any given point in time. So given how many tracks you guys have, how were you guys able to put together the content? Also, I imagine it's something where this is very specialized content. So you must have had to consult with experts and agencies and, you know, people who specialize in this sort of work. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very specialized content and it requires a lot of delicate handling because of how personal it can be and, and how quickly the space changes as well. And truly how deeply it reaches into the way that we think about each other and the way we treat each other. So because we have broken out cultural competence into such a deep, you know, three-dimensional matrix of topics and, and levels of understanding and sort of markers of the learning journey, we've got a very deep understanding of, or a deep framework of thinking of diversity and inclusion and the different facets of what makes people who they are. And so for each of those different facets and combinations of facets, we've really tried to work with experts in the space who have either lived that experience or are otherwise qualified to um, sort of vet content around those experiences. And so we have people on our own team, you know, in-house who are qualified to do that vetting and sourcing. But we also work with consultants, advisors, people in the space, and we bring people in as needed to either vet the content that we've sourced online or to create custom content if there isn't anything that currently exists in that space. So 
so it's an ongoing process. The content database is always being refreshed and, and kept up to speed and, and current. And it's really that that keeps us ever able to give those hyper-relevant learning moments exactly when people need them. As you guys are working with customers, what is the most popular program or the most popular track that people are requesting? Or, you know, does it work that way? Like, is there a particular issue that you feel as if a lot of people feel as if they need the most help with? You know, it really depends on location and role. So we see a lot of that changing by which country the user is in and and whether they have an internal or external facing role function. But across the board, I think something that's been a topic of interest has really been uh, non-binary and trans people and pronouns. And I think that that's because it's maybe a newer topic of conversation in the workplace and people are starting to see this happen. You know, in retail, they're starting to see pronouns appear on name tags in some cases, and not everybody knows what is going on and not everybody knows how to ask that question. And so when we push that content out, we see a lot of activity on on that type of content across Canada and the US. But I think, again, it really does change by location because the way that we think about diversity and demographics is completely different in different countries. So even between Canada and the US, there's a huge difference in the way that people think about race, uh, physical ability, invisible disability, you know, mental health, things like gender, uh, gender pay gap, women in the workplace. It's, it's all very nuanced depending on where you are. So other than the, the pronouns conversation, there's not really a, a single emerging theme. The pronouns make sense because I feel as if a lot of tech companies, they're very, they want to be inclusive. And so they'll start including pronouns on a lot of like internal websites or, you know, profile pages, but they don't provide the explanation of how to actually use it. So I think that's why what you guys are doing is a particularly helpful service. Yeah. A lot of the time people will, will actually, we have a questions function in Crescendo as well. So users can ask uh, the bot directly and we'll source a piece of content and send it back. But some people will say, you know, I see that my manager has she, her in her signature. What the heck does that mean? I don't understand how to use this or, or why it's even there. Cause I know that I should call her, she, you know, and those types of questions are things that people don't necessarily know how to Google because it's right. kind of a, a personal question. Um, and they don't want to put themselves out there in the workplace and ask for fear of being, uh, put under the spotlight or, or sort of laughed at. And so Crescendo helps them to answer those questions in a really safe space. Right. At Crescendo, you're the CEO now, but you actually began as a co-founder and the CTO. Like, I'm actually curious how and when you made that shift over to become the CEO. Yeah. So we, when we founded the company, um, we really just assigned the roles based on, you know, what makes the most sense for us right now. What are our interests? I think when you first start a startup, you know, a lot of early you know, day one founders can get lost in the ego of the role or the title, but that's really the biggest no-no when you're starting a company is, is letting your ego get in the way because it's really about, you know, who's best for the role at any given point in time. And that actually, quite frankly, can change as your company evolves. And so actually all three co-founders have at some point been the CEO of Crescendo so far. And so both times that we made the switch, what we did was we had reached a point where our company had grown. We'd expanded beyond our initial needs and we'd expanded to either serve new customers or have moved beyond a specific research phase where one of us, you know, had shifted into a new set of priorities. And so 
I was the CTO for the first switch and, and for the first year and a half of the company or so. And this August, so August, 2019, uh, when we were doing a big, uh, mid year kind of refresh and, and deep dive into the company to figure out, you know, are we raising money at the right time? Are we thinking about our goals and our timelines in the right ways? We laid out all of the things that happen within our organization. And we said, you know, if the company was to tank tomorrow, not saying that it was, but let's pretend that we had to let everyone go and just go back to the three founders, what would we all do and why? And we really, we do this exercise fairly often because we want to make sure that we're always doing the right thing for the business and we're doing what the business needs. And so when we laid it out, we had about 45 different things and we assigned them all to different people within, within the three of us. And looking at it, it just made sense for me to step into the CEO role. We also had a phenomenal lead developer who we'd brought on earlier that year in March. And so he was able to take over all of the architecting of the system that I had been doing prior to that. And so, yeah, based on our needs for team growth and team culture at the time, it just made sense for us to switch. And it was actually much easier and and much more calm than a lot of people expect. And I think, again, going back to my original point, it, it really comes back to not letting your ego get in the way of things because it's not about the title. It's about building a strong company and, and really making that impact on the world. Speaking of advice, I kind of wanted to segue into what some of the tools that you use are that you guys have found to be successful. I think that the most impactful little snippet that has stuck with me since we were in our first accelerator program has been the concept of plexiglass feedback. So plexiglass feedback is when you are receiving feedback, you imagine that you have a piece of plexiglass up in front of you as it's coming at you. And it sounds a little bit funky (laughs) at first, but what the plexiglass is meant to do is allow you to see the feedback, you know, appreciate it kind of almost in slow motion and let it bounce off of you before it hits you. And so we were first told this when we were part of the Next Canada program uh, back when we very first founded the company. But we started to implement this into our weekly founder syncs. And from the day that we started doing that, we noticed that our communication just became so much more honest and effective. And we were able to have very hard conversations because we didn't take them personally at all. So we could give truly you know, sometimes harsh feedback about how we made each other feel about when we thought we made mistakes or, or when we disagreed. And because we were imagining this plexiglass, it never actually touched us personally. It was always understood that this is for the best of the business. And we are stronger as a team when we sort of separate ourselves from that personal feeling of, of the conversation. And so that plexiglass feedback is something that we've really tried to bake into the culture at Crescendo as we've hired on our employees and as we've grown our team, because we would not be able to be the strong team that we are today without that kind of distance from the, the process. That's really interesting. I've actually never heard that concept before. So what's like an example of something that you guys like talked through through the method? Oh my gosh, everything. Everything from, you know, I feel like you didn't treat me appropriately in that meeting up to, I feel like you didn't negotiate that properly, or I I disagree about this person that we're talking about hiring, or, you know, even things like the, the thing, the conversations we were having around the role changes as well. It always comes back to the business comes first. And because we've always had that uh, mentality and we're all on the same page about that, 
it's just been so healthy to go through it. I mean, I was at a workshop this week uh, in Chicago and my co-founder Tuba and I were having a conversation that for us feels very normal and natural. And it was about our team and it was about how we're going to grow the team and who we need to hire. And one of the other founders in the room came up to us afterwards and he said, you know, I was listening to that conversation and it sounded really intense. I, I feel like, you know, I'm proud of you for having a conversation with that much depth in a place like this. And we're like, this is a normal day for us. This is just, <laughs> right. you know, the kind of, this is how we talk to each other because we have that respect and that, that plexiglass feedback always there. So what would you say is a leadership principle that you have picked up in your time as either CEO at Crescendo or in one of your previous roles? So my previous roles before Crescendo were all around, uh, I worked at Microsoft for four years and they were all around emerging tech and, and leading teams of students and working with university faculty. And um, I had a very large corporate mindset, uh, big budgets you know, long timelines and all of that. And so when I jumped into the startup world, I really learned a lot about pace, uh, about goal setting and about scope. So how far can you stretch a dollar is something that I, I definitely learned, but a leadership principle that I've really embraced in the last year, especially since we hired our employees and we started to pick up a lot more pace with our clients and our customers is always think bigger. So that's something that we've been pushing ourselves and pushing each other on the team to do for a while is when we think that we've done something or that we've put something down, how can we make it bigger? How can we stretch that further? And how can we uh, make that a more valuable relationship or feature or experiment or whatever it may be? There's always something bigger that we can do with that with the same amount of resources. And I think that that is kind of one of the defining characteristics of entrepreneurs is being able to take those limited resources that you have access to and turn them into something sort of larger than life. And what is a lesson learned for you, good or bad? It's like something that you have learned from and now apply to your daily life. Let me talk about a light lesson first and then maybe a mm -hmm. bit of a heavier lesson as well. So okay. a light lesson that I've learned is the value of a minute. So I went through Techstars, our company went through Techstars in 2018 in the fall in Montreal. And as part of that ex experience, we went through something called Mentor Madness, where we met with 80 mentors over 10 mornings. And they were 20 minute meetings back to back. It was the most grueling and exciting experience that I've ever had. And during that process, I really realized how much you can accomplish in a single minute of time. And before, I mean, this goes back, goes back to my comment about uh, sort of large enterprise mindset. Before, when I was at Microsoft, I was thinking about things in half hour chunks as being like the smallest unit of time. Uh, but now I truly do think of the smallest unit of time as one minute. So if I see I have three minutes before a meeting starts, you know, I can bang out a few emails, I can get a few introductions made, I can, you know, check up on the statistics and, and figure out how our product is performing. There's so much you can do in that time. And that's something that's really stuck with me. So, uh, you know, things that I've I've really been doing there are it's changed the way that I manage time and, and the way I think about my day and my calendar. I think a, maybe a heavier lesson is the one that I'm still learning. It's around hiring and being an employer. I think as a founder in the early stage, there's a weird balance of wanting to hire the best people, but not being able to pay them very much because you don't have any money and you're not making any money yourself. So there's, 
you know, some sacrifices that you make. And then you, you sometimes hire people who are really phenomenal people, but you hire them into the wrong role because you just want that person. And you, it's just something that you think is right at the time. And so we did that, uh, in the past, we've hired a few people who've come and gone from crescendo for various reasons, either short-term contracts or, or interns, things like that. But a few times I've, I've noticed that we've put people in the wrong roles and I have seen the impact that that can have on somebody when as a startup, you don't have the resources to really spend on upskilling them. And so that's something that I've learned that I hadn't experienced in my previous roles is if you don't have the time and money to invest in really making sure that somebody can learn the skills they need for a role, don't put them in a role that they don't have the skills for. So that's something that, you know, if I had known that in advance, that would have helped us to put those right people, because they were the right people, into the right roles at the right time, rather than creating these dynamics that caused it to be uh, frustrating for for the employee and, and you know, difficult for the, the team to manage. And so that's a hard one. I find that the hardest lessons to learn are the ones where you are dealing with people's livelihoods and making mistakes with those. Um, you know, that's something that I carry very heavily as a founder and now as a CEO. And I think, um, every founder should really take hiring as a very serious decision and be very sure about it. You hear it a lot, the advice, um, hire slow, fire fast. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, you know, hire slowly and hire surely, you know, don't, don't hire slow and prepare to fire fast just for the sake of firing fast. I think we always have to remember that we're dealing with real people and we have to have a lot of empathy because as employers, it's more than just fast paced, fast burning startup life. It's dealing with the way people are going to live and, and we're changing the course of their lives as well. Yeah. And they're taking a huge risk too. So as you are balancing all of your work stuff, <laughs> I can only imagine you don't have much free time, but when you are able to take a break, what would you say is something that you binge? Like what is the last TV show or book or recipe or game that, you know, you really spent a lot of time with? So I, you're right. I don't have a lot of time to do this anymore. In the past, I binged a lot of The Office. That was kind of my, my go-to. Um, but this week when I was in Chicago, I actually got very sick. And so I had more, more time where my brain just needed to shut off. And because I'm Canadian or, and I was here on a trip, I actually discovered a bunch of documentaries on Netflix US. And so I just binge watched these mini documentary series. So there was one about World War II. There was one about some twins where one had lost his memory and the other one had like created a fake life for him to, to remember. It was wild. And then another one was about the healthcare uh, system and like new medical devices being approved by the FDA. So really interesting stuff. And this is content that I didn't, I haven't seen before because the different location. That's interesting. And I don't normally binge watch documentaries. I actually don't normally watch documentaries at all. So this one was a uh, very interesting week for me. Well, Sage, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts.